0: talking about it. This is Hamilton Today with Scott Thompson on 900CHML.
1: Hey, it's Hamilton Today. I'm Curtis Thompson, Scott's son. Will Weber is on the board. Willerskin is in the cloud. In the newsroom, Diana Weeks and Dave Woodard. The federal budget comes down today. I hope there is something left for my generation. Here's go!
2: Oh Oh man! It's budget day! Woo hoo! Yeah, baby! Uh, <laughs> wow! Uh, good afternoon. It's three oh eight. You know when was the last time anybody was interested or even remotely interested in a budget? Uh, other than now, because we're all broke. It's nine hundred CHML. I'm Scott Thompson. It's Hamilton today. Will Weber is on the board. All right, budget uh, budget day, or no, never mind. That'd be a bad word, wouldn't it? Uh, budget day uh, in Canada today. It's coming down at four o'clock. Uh, lots of speculation. Lots of stuff uh, already leaked. Apparently, the NDP already knew about it. Uh, uh well the leader did and then was passing it down to the MPs and such so uh, a lot of information has leaked out as we saw yesterday and we talked about that and such uh, but obviously the big deal here is is housing and you know i find this fascinating cuz i'm like a guy old enough to be uh, you know I- i've been around for uh, god i turned 60 this year anyway um so i like i've seen this this has been going on for 30 years uh, and, you know, I was talking to Will about this off air that, you know, I remember in the 70s, uh, everybody was complaining, uh, that the prices of apartments, uh, the rentals were going up through the roof. So they brought in rent control, which of course, uh, is a way of government overreach to try to settle things down. And of course, what would happen was people stopped building apartments. Instead, they went on to build condos and made each individual owner a landlord of some sort. And we know where that went. Uh, And for some reason, and I don't know whether it's the environmental movement or what it is, but we're a a province, a country that screams for thousands and thousands of immigrants every single year, but we don't have any place to put them. And for some reason, we do not want to build a damn thing in this country. And this has been going on for years, whether it's infrastructure such as highways or transit uh, whether it's housing and, and keeping it affordable and such. You know, and, and again, we're going to wait and see what comes down with the housing uh, stuff today uh, after 4 o'clock. But, you know, at the end of the day, it's very, very simple economics. Listen uh, to the Don Fox show every Saturday. It's supply and demand. It's simple stuff. And if there isn't enough of anything, the price goes up. And again, we talk about low-cost housing, we talk about rental units, we talk about everything, but we don't build a damn thing. We don't build anything, yet we talk and talk and talk and spend millions and billions of dollars on programs that don't really do a damn thing. And you know, like the foreign home buyers tax. Well, that's great, and that's populism politics right there. Don't let them foreigners come in. But it's like five percent of the pop, five uh, percent of the transactions in Canada. Most of the people uh, who own more than one home are, are doing it here. And why are they investing in homes? Because the prices are going through the roof. Why supply and demand? If it was soybeans, they'd be investing in those. So it is so easy to figure out what we have to do here but once again we got our thumbs up our nose or any other orifice you want trying to figure out how to do it and nothing's getting done it's as simple as that all right going to play a couple of clips this is all uh crystal ball stuff because we don't know really what's happening uh until uh after this uh budget comes out at four o'clock here's candace bergen interim leader of the conservatives on uh, on all of this affordability and housing
3: whether it's income tax, corporate tax, GST, or carbon tax. The government has a range of options to offer relief to Canadians. Canadians cannot afford any more increases in the cost of food, fuel, or housing. Enough is enough. I mean, this is not a matter of people not being able to save ten dollars or $15,000 for a house. They cannot afford a million-dollar home that five, six, seven years ago would have cost them half that amount.
2: And here's what the Prime Minister had to say yesterday about what we can expect later today.
4: In
5: tomorrow's budget, we will be making significant investments in housing, in supporting Canadians in the range of solutions that are necessary. There is no one solution, Mr. Speaker. There are only meaningful efforts across the board by this government to make sure that things get better for Canadians.
2: How long has this guy been in power? Again, uh, making it easier for people to buy a million-dollar home? It's supply and demand. Build, baby, build. And don't stop building for a decade. Build, baby, build. And do not stop Think of the jobs you'll create, whether it's in construction industries, related construction industries, home furnishing industries, what have you. And when you're doing them, plan smart neighborhoods for transit and such. But whatever you're going to do, and low-cost housing, whatever you need, but get it done. We don't build a damn thing in this country anymore except things that come with political populism, like windmills, or things that stand out, that, that scream, uh, uh, here is our, what we're doing for climate change. We need health care. We need housing. That's what we need. And we've needed it for 10, 20, 30 years. Nothing new here. Nothing new here except a global pandemic and climate change. But those same basic necessities are always there. And every single government of every single stripe, whether it's provincial or federal, has kicked this can down the road. And again, I don't know why we are so scared to build in this country. Whether it's infrastructure, whether it's transit, whether it's housing, whether it's hospitals, whether it's schools. We talk a good game. We're doing everything and hitting all the right buttons that make us mark the X in the right spot but nothing is getting done. When can we build something in this country? Some news spinning out yesterday about the federal government approving Bay du Nord, an oil project. This is uh, a uh, pretty, pretty cool idea off the uh, coast of Newfoundland. It's looks like a floating barge thing, a uh, boat, and then it goes down and sucks the oil out as opposed to the old oil rig kind of setup. Uh, but they're getting everything from triumph to condemnation as uh, supporters uh, who tout the economic benefits and say that uh, this is what we need of course especially for uh the transition period uh as well others are on the opposite side uh environmentalists are incredibly upset that uh we're hearing the stories that we're hearing from the prime minister and his focus on uh climate change and now does this uh that being said i'm sure you're not going to get too many conservatives upset about this let's bring in henry jacek professor of political science mcmaster university he is with us now henry thank you for the time i hope you're well yes i am Obviously, uh, the right or those right of center or center right, whatever you want to call it, uh, will probably agree with this, especially the situation that the world's in right now. But the left might be very upset. How do they square this circle? How do they balance this?
6: Well, it's it's a it's a situation is where somebody's going to be very unhappy and somebody's going to be very happy. So you, you no matter what you do, no matter what the government would do, it's going to it's going to have that situation where it's it's a it's a polarized decision. It's just not you can't you just can't go down the middle on a decision like this. You have to take a stand. The government did and that's what happened. Are you surprised at this decision? Well, looking at it, uh you know, it hasn't got much press from generally in the, in most of the public, so... Which
2: I'm incredibly surprised at.
6: Yeah. Well, it's out in Newfoundland, you know, where people in Ontario say, well, God, that's that's over halfway to Europe, you know. <laughs> Anyways, and, and by the way, this new uh, development they're going to have is really a lot closer to Europe than even Newfoundland is. So, in any anyway, event, it's, it's something that, you know, we don't pay that much attention oftentimes to what happens out in the maritime provinces. But we have to because, you know, the maritime provinces have a lot of problems economically, and Newfoundland has the lowest per capita income of any, you know, any of the provinces. And uh, this is something that is really critical for the economy and the well-being of the people in Newfoundland. And uh, it's it's a tough one to say no to. Uh, you know, you look at Alberta. Well, there's other things going on in Alberta. They have other ways of making money so the people in Ontario could say, well, maybe they ought to, you know, have to have to do more sacrificing but it's hard it's really hard I think uh, for for us to say the poorest you know the poorest province has to do a, a big sacrifice <laughs> you know it, it, it's 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 kind of hard to do that I think
2: uh, again I'm surprised it hasn't received more media attention uh, because of the focus on climate change right. is it not receiving attention because it's something that brings controversy to the prime minister uh because again he's you know he's he's got to try to justify both ends of this stick
6: yeah well the environmental groups mainly do their centering on on uh, on alberta maybe to a certain extent on saskatchewan but mainly alberta and that, that's the issue there you know that that gets all the attention because you know there's a concern about the the amount of uh, greenhouse gases that go up uh, in because of the type of uh, oil industry we have in Alberta so that's what they're focusing on and uh, basically this other one is well the argument is it's 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 not as bad as all the others so you know <laughs> yeah. if you're going to if you're going to have to have an oil industry this is the best kind to have in a traditional period between now and you know 2050 so it 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 didn't have didn't originally have the, the as much emotion behind it as anything that goes on in Alberta but now that the government's made a decision of course people who are you know basically say listen we don't want to have any kind of more more developments of oil gas any of that stuff we got to just end it and uh, end it now uh you know that's that's uh, if you're a hardliner like that like many of the environmentalists are and uh that that's you get into this type of controversy
2: unfortunately that's where the discussions are being had now and that's on the extremes and that's unfortunately where the solution is rarely found all right i want to talk to you about housing because obviously henry a huge issue here what is it about whether it's canada more so ontario you go back 10 20 30 years i remember there used to be apartment buildings you could rent and then rent control came in and you know developers well why are we doing this if we can't make any money uh so then uh we stopped building rental apartments and we moved into the the condo uh, industry we all know where that's gone why are what is our fear of building and whether it's low-income housing whether it's uh you know multi-family units apartment building single
6: family homes why are we not building in this province it's uh, i think the basic reason is that many municipalities have have a lot of rules about what you can do in terms of housing this is a still a spin-off
2: from the environmental period, isn't it? I mean, we haven't gotten through that, have we? We haven't reached the, 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 the center or, or a place where we can do this quickly and efficiently and, and still get stuff done.
6: Yeah, well, I, it, it's a lot of people see their interests. Now, I, you know, I talk to people out, you know, because there's, you know, I, uh, when, I, when I go out and I talk to people who live near places in, in the city, for example, that where there's empty, empty space, and there's rumors going through the neighborhood. Okay, we're going to have affordable housing and all sorts of stuff put in there, and they're just livid. I mean, they will just yeah. go, so not my backyard. Absolutely livid because I'm I like living at that, looking at that nice green space uh, across the street. I don't want to look at you know I don't want to look at affordable housing, even if it's say. Three story, you know, three story uh, apartments or something where you, where you can, that would you know you don't you don't have to make a choice between a single me- you know a uh, home uh, that's detached on its own property versus a high rise. You there's a lot of stuff in between, and I think basically we have not really uh, in in the cities particularly been very welcoming to these uh, middle sort of things where you might have uh, say three story apartments or. Three or, or you know condos that are three stories high in a lot of places, we we can do that. But you know nobody wants to do these sort of things, and they just lean on all their counselors and not you know and, and nothing and, gets done. Yeah, and the, and the developers, you know, the people who, who put them. I don't you know I can understand they, they, they want to if they go out to the countryside and put up houses. There's nobody to bother them, right? You know they can yeah. they and they and plus normally they're going to build very nice you know expensive housing because that's you know that's where the profit is and there are, you know and that and there's a, there's a market for that i mean there is a good you know there's a big market right now quite surprisingly for for 2 million dollar houses out on a green spaces and uh you know and and that's and they're easy to build as long as uh as long yeah. as, the, you know, the, uh, the, they're, they're allowed to do so. And it's, it's often a lot harder to try to satisfy everybody if you're building inside the city and you've got, uh, you know, people all around you and they're making all sorts of demands on their counselors, put this limit on, that limit on. And, uh, you know, so reason goes out the door, I think, on both sides yeah, to a certain just- degree.
2: And it's to the point, Henry. Just build something. Just get it done. I mean, I feel yeah. like Sarah Palin with the drill, baby, drill. I want to start a chant: build, baby, build. Just keep building everything for the next ten years. Low income, uh, high density, medium density. Just keep building it all. Yeah. It's amazing that we just we we don't realize that's the problem. Plum out of time, Henry. I got to let you go. We'll chat again soon, Henry J. Sick, Professor Henry J. Sick, Political Science, McMaster University.
0: You're listening to the Hamilton Today podcast from 900 CHML.
2: It is budget day and... You know, a lot of us are speculating, but what we're certainly hearing is a lot about what is to come, how we come out of this global pandemic and into restarting the economy and life the way, uh, as at least we knew it, or or hopefully some sort of semblance of. Uh, and I'm trying to think of any time I in in my history on the planet when anybody has been this interested in a budget. Let's bring in Daniel Perry, consultant at Summa Strategies, with us now. Daniel, thanks for the time. I hope you're well.
7: Always good. I hope you're doing well as well.
2: Thanks so much. Well, am I uh, misjudging this or are we more interested in this budget than we have in others in the past?
7: I would say so. I think there's a lot of things in here. Uh, that's what the government was hoping that generates some interest from a lot of people. So they're they're going to be putting a lot of things in here to kind of whet everyone's appetite. So and it's just like Christmas. You always want to know what you're going to be getting under the tree. So I think people are getting a little bit more excited to see what what's in store for them.
2: Is it that we're all waiting and excited about the budget or are we more concerned about the state of the world?
7: I think it's a bit of column A, column B. And and this budget is the real first time since the Cold War, war actually, that Canadians have been concerned about defense spending and how uh, Canada will be able to secure itself, not only domestically, but also internationally as well. And this budget will have hopefully answers for that
2: uh how do you think this is going to be taken by the time the day is over and we're 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 mulling this about tomorrow what do you think we're going to be talking about tomorrow
7: i think we're going to be talking about how it's a great day to be in the defense sector or how it's a great day to be a young person wanting to buy a house Uh, given the leaks that have come out so far that's been the main areas of this government is looking to kind of tackle the unaffordability of housing as well as try to find ways to increase Canada's defense spending as well. I think we might be able to see some relief for Canadians across the nation, uh, whether that's the cost of goods or even some help around the fuel pricing. I think the government's going to be taking a cost of, a cost of living lens to this budget. So it'll be interesting to see what they kind of come up with to address that.
2: And uh, in regard to uh, uh, Canadians and how they feel, what do you think they want to see the most of in this budget do you think they want to see a housing addressed? do you think it's climate change do you defense what do you think the number one priority for canadians is in this budget
7: the number one priority i think it really depends on canadians i know a lot of young people that i have talked with that they're very eager to maybe buy a house one day and hopefully see some stuff in this budget where some more uh Older folks are interested in talking about cost of living, as well as opportunities for retirement. Um, I don't think the environment at the moment is front and center for all Canadians, just because there's other bigger pressing issues, especially when we look at pocketbook issues.
2: Uh, and why uh, the beige and ord slips right through and nobody's really other than those on the extreme left that are concerned
7: yeah i think it's one of those things where the government planted it there for a reason they didn't want to talk about it it's not something that really matches up with their brand of trying to push forwards canada to a state where we're this very climate friendly kind of thing that's not really part of their narrative so i think we're strategically put just before the budget so most people would skip over and just focus on the bigger goods that are be coming out at four o'clock today
2: are you surprised we haven't talked about this you know like oh by the way there's a new oil rig off the coast of (laughs) newfoundland
7: it's kind of (laughs) hard to hide you're right it is a big thing but somehow the government has put a tarp over it so we can't see it and not many people are talking about it i think it is something that we should be talking about especially because the labor minister is from newfoundland and it's going to be creating a lot of jobs out there as well as if newfoundland who also released their budget today is looking to balance it they're going to really bang on oil and production from that rig so i am a little surprised we're not talking about it more so i'm happy you asked about it um, I think in the coming weeks they'll might get a little bit more play, especially what's in this budget. I can see the NDP possibly asking the government, why are you trying to reduce oil consumption while we'll at the same time building an oil rig? Is it hypocritical
2: Is it hypocritical not to talk about it? I mean, I don't think there's going to be <laughs> resistance to it as much as everyone thinks there is because of the situation the, the world is in right now. But when you try to paint a picture of being one thing and then you
7: you know keep a tarp over an oil rig, that's a different story. Well, I would also be remiss not to mention that we as Canadians, we also own a pipeline. So uh, the government doing one thing, saying one thing and doing another thing is not a surprise, especially for this government. But I think there will be some when things quiet down a little bit. And I really hope for everyone's sake that we have a couple boring news cycles where we can kind mm. of address the issues instead of facing possibly another war or an increase in this pandemic. So I, I think when the when the tide is right, we'll be able to talk about it.
2: All right, Daniel, we were, you were talking about housing earlier on, and there's some nuggets in here for that. I'm sure we'll hear more, uh, details coming up after four. But what is your, uh, at first glance, uh, with this? And is this going to help? I mean, we talk a lot about this, and this has been going on for 10, 20, 30 years. There's nothing new here. Uh, and many are saying, you gotta build more houses. It's, it's as simple as that. We seem to be scared, whether it's low cost, whether it's high density, whether it's single family, we don't want to build anything. Nothing seems to get done so in this package of goodies will we see anything get done is there solid solid help there for for people
7: i think this is going to be where the liberals really implement a lot of their promises from the election campaign so in their election campaign they really focused on being able to help canadians afford to buy more housing by increasing their ability to pay for it where the actual boots on the ground and putting up buildings wasn't addressed in their platform so I, I don't have high hopes for them I don't think we'll be seeing any new skyscrapers or anything like that being built in our big cities or adding more houses to smaller communities just because The focus from this budget will be just allowing Canadians to have more money to fuel those
2: bidding wars. Again, supply and demand. So I'm giving you an easier way to afford a house that's already way overpriced. I mean, why not bring the price of the house down by simply building more? Why are we so scared to build here?
7: Uh, because that would make sense and god forbid the government do what actually makes sense I, I think it's one of those very complicated issues it also falls down to the federal government will tell say the municipalities need to change the zoning laws where the municipalities will say well we can't change it we need more money so it's one of those things where everyone's trying to point fingers at each other and no one really wants to take action but i kind of like kind of like healthcare kind of like
2: healthcare daniel
7: are there are <laughs> Just there any time. so,
2: so <laughs> are there on that note because i'm trying to squeeze this in, in in 30 seconds anything on health transfer payments to the provinces the provinces we all know post pandemic they uh, and the healthcare system is getting kicked in the teeth they need help and it's not it, although their provincial responsibilities all the provinces are united it's about a transfer payments that are no longer there is there any discussion about that in this
7: I think there will be some nod to healthcare, especially coming out of this pandemic. The government realizes that our, our current healthcare system is failing. It's been failing for decades, yeah. but it's kind of come to light right now. And this government likes to spend money. So if they have an opportunity to spend some money on our healthcare system, where it might be a political win as well as a win for everyday Canadians, I think they're willing to do that.
2: Daniel Perry with his consultant, Summa Strategies, waiting for the budget to come down. Daniel, thanks for the insight. Much appreciated. Be well.
7: Be well as well. Take care.
0: When there's an issue, Scott is all in on getting to the heart of it. This is Hamilton Today with Scott Thompson. On Hamilton's News, today's talk. 900
3: The other theme that I think will resonate with more Canadians than most is the cost of housing, uh, particularly in, in big places like Toronto, Calgary, you name it, is it's just becoming ridiculous to try to find a place to rent, or a home the government has heard that message and we're expecting two billion dollars at least a year over the next five years to build more homes that's really been the issue increasing the supply of homes and uh, the government will look to that today there'll be an indigenous housing component to that as well making sure people in indigenous communities also have access to, to clean safe homes so that is the whole affordability housing issue
2: that's global news dave aiken Talking about, uh, what people are expecting when the budget comes down. Uh, housing affordability, foreign home buyers, they're talking about a tax with that, uh, which again will help, but that's like 5% of the market. It's a lot of people that live right here that are buying, uh, several homes. Why? Well, because it's a good investment why because there's a low supply and a high demand uh you know if it was soybeans they'd be buying more soybeans than houses uh let's bring in michelle gilbert broker at sage real estate and is with us now michelle thanks for the time hope you're well
8: hi scott how are you
2: good uh obviously uh you're hearing you know dribs and drabs of what's going to come down later on today but at first glance what are your thoughts about what you're seeing
8: I mean, everyone's talking about the foreign buyer uh, ban over here, and it just feels like a band aid. You know, like yeah. foreign buyers, I'm not sure like what the current number is, but the last stat we had were less than 5%. Yeah. And so is that enough to cause a disruption? I don't think so. And will prices fall? Because that's what we need is like affordable housing. No, houses are still going to be re- relatively unaffordable for the average Canadian, right? Uh, the the, not, the prime
2: minister is saying more. Um, sorry, I interrupted there. Go ahead, finish your thought.
8: No, no, no. I'm I'm just not convinced that you know foreign buyers are really the target. You know, and I think that it's almost to distract us from the real problem, which is supply
2: and again there's as many or if not more domestic buyers of several homes than there are foreign buyers so again they're getting into it because it's it's profitable the prime minister said he's going to build more houses do you know what that means because obviously federal governments like vaccines they don't build houses either so is that clearing up red tape how, how does how are you interpreting that
8: you know i'm hoping it's clearing up like red tape i hope it's speeding up the process for development time and you know i feel like building is something that no one wants to do like we we see it everywhere here where we have propositions for multi-residential homes in you know areas that need them and no one wants it no one wants it in their backyards and counselors don't want to deal with people that don't want it so um i don't know what It's going to look like, but I would be very curious to see if we're going to have lower development fees, higher speed or short enough time for development, you know.
2: But again, as you said, Michelle, these are just ways to help you navigate the current impossible uh, situation as opposed to changing the situation. Do you really think the single most thing we can do to solve this problem is to simply build more of everything?
8: I do. I think I know in Toronto, like so rates is definitely something that's going to slow it down, but I think Mm -hmm. we need more houses, right? I don't think sprawl is the answer. I don't think that we need to just spread out. We need um, like more affordable housing, even if it's just building rentals, right? We need to keep our economy strong here. And, you know, if we don't start planning because we made a mistake, what seems like 10 years ago without seeing this right if we don't start planning for the next 10 years you know this could have a rippling effect even on things like immigration you know like our economy heavily relies on skilled people coming to live here where are they going to live
2: that's another valid point. We're all screaming for uh, we need more immigrants coming into this uh, country. We need jobs to be filled, yet we don't want to build places for them to stay. Uh, Michelle Gilbert with us, broker at Sage Real Estate. Thanks for your time, Michelle. Much appreciated. Be well.
8: No problem.
2: Take care. All right. Lots of chatter about housing and such in the budget and uh, a suite of policies, uh, programs announced that uh, hopefully will help. Let's bring in Marvin Ryder, professor at the Group School of Business, McMaster University. He's with us now. Marvin, thank you for the time. I hope you're well.
3: I'm great. Thank you. Glad to be with you. As
2: I watch my screen today, I can see you're a very busy man uh, appearing all over the place. So thanks for taking the time. We appreciate this. Uh, The suite of programs that are coming out to help people, young people buy a house. Will this help them buy a house?
3: So I may answer your question, but if you don't mind, can I start with a bigger headline? I think for the average person, you know, how much is this all going to cost us? Uh, The last time we heard from Christia Freeland, the budget deficit for the year just ended on March 31st was projected to be $145 billion. And in this budget, she tells us, no, no, that's not right. It's 114, 114 billion. That's a big drop for next year, the year that we're in right now, 53 billion, in the year after that, 40 billion. So we're 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 not back balanced by any stretch of the imagination, but we're moving in the right direction. Now, for home buyers, the big announcement today was kind of a TFSA to save for your first house, not for your second or third. The way it works is it's like an RSP in the sense that you take your money and you get a tax credit for putting your money away to save for the house, but it's like a TFSA because when you withdraw it, any gains you've had, you don't pay tax on it. The hope is to get you to save up to $40,000. Now, that's a nice headline-grabbing thing. Is it going to make a difference? Well, if your house is a million dollars, and boy, I've got $40,000 in tax-free cash, that still leaves you $960,000 away. Mm -hmm. Nice headline thing. Don't know if it's going to make a difference.
2: Uh, You were talking about the deficit coming down, which is uh, the spending going down, rather, which is great to see. But is that not largely due to the fact that we're coming out of a pandemic and they've dropped pandemic spending programs?
3: That's part of it. The other part of it is that you and I are spending again. We're projecting the economy to grow this year three and a half percent pre-COVID. If we could get a year where the economy grew one point eight percent, I would shout hallelujah. We're talking about double that kind of growth. So guess what? As we spend money coming out of the uh, coming out of the COVID times, there's GST <laughs> embedded in there, HST embedded in there, and the government's got more revenues to play with too
2: uh getting back to housing uh the uh the government has said it's going to put more money aside to build housing obviously government doesn't build housing what do they mean by that what what is that used for
3: yeah so uh other than the savings account to help first time buyers the plan is to uh to provide 10 billion dollars over 5 years uh primarily i guess i would say to municipalities to help them build for lack of a better term, social housing or affordable housing. Their hope is to have 100,000 new homes built over five years, and the theory is if you increase the supply and the demand is constant, you should ease the pressure on these higher house prices. I don't know if that's realistic to build 100,000 in five years, given that there's no shovel in the ground today. It just takes a while to do that. But again, I'd rather light a candle than curse the darkness. Is,
2: is this lower for lower income housing just or for just for housing in general, whether it's high density, low density, uh, affordable, low income, what have you?
3: Yeah, so the the money that the federal government is targeting is really aimed at the lower income segment. So more of affordable housing. You mentioned higher density. Some some of this might be apartment buildings. Some of this might be townhouses. Uh, And again, the theory is if you can get the lower echelons into some housing, that may again take some pressure off people who are trying to buy their first home, their starter home. They can afford a starter home, but there's just so many people competing for it. Can I also note, however, that a budget is a little short on details, so I'm going to be looking forward when the bill is actually introduced to go through the specific details to see what they are.
2: We've talked about this before, Marvin. What is it about this province, this country, build seems to be a bad word, whether it's any of this whether it's single family homes whether it's high density what have you we just don't seem to get this done and 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 this really seems to be a supply and demand issue even the you know the five percent uh or there's five percent that that are the foreign foreign ownership we've stopped that but there's a lot of people domestically that are buying more than one house because it earns them money because there's low supply and high demand what can we do to fix that are we doing enough to build more
3: Yeah, again, if you don't mind, I'm going to break that question into two parts. You mentioned foreign buyers, and so this budget has also suggested that for a two-year period, uh, the government is going to stop foreign buyers from entering the market altogether. Now, that's a nice headline-grabbing thing, but there are just so many loopholes to get around it. For instance, I could create a Canadian corporation and then have the Canadian corporation buy the house, or Mm -hmm. I could get my aunt or my uncle or my brother to buy it for me, put it in their name. I'm not sure this really keeps the foreign buyers out of the market, but those foreign buyers have been attracted because I could buy a house, not move in, not do anything, sell it a year later and make 20% on my money. That's pretty good. You don't get in that and many other things. To your first part of your question though, why are we afraid of building? I think it's all about responsible building. You know, are we talking about building up? Are we talking about building out? Are we promoting sprawl? And frankly, the municipalities need to be more nimble. This is not a federal government thing. It's not really even a provincial government thing. If we need more housing, we've got to find a way to get those approvals faster to allow those developers who want to risk their money to build some homes to do so. Sometimes it seems it takes forever to get those approvals, but that's not a federal or a provincial thing.
2: This seems uh, uh, there's a lot of buck passing going on, Marvin, and it's as sure. frustrating as the healthcare system. You know, again, uh, we, we we keep going to the healthcare system with band-aids instead of you know increasing transfer payments or allowing private money or fixing the funding formula of some sort. It seems we're getting caught up in the same thing with housing.
3: Yeah, I think there's some truth to that. But since you mentioned since you mentioned healthcare, another thing, Jagmeet Singh just uh, was called down on on uh, um, to make a deal. Uh, because there's going to be a dental care program introduced, $5.3 billion over five years. And I think it's interesting. They're going to start with dental care for people under the age of 12. Uh, Guess what? People under the age of 12 don't need a lot of dental care. So the first year of the program is only going to be $300 million, and it will be phased in over five years. By the way, what happens over five years? You there's going to be an election during that time period. You may never see it done. Uh, We've not heard anything about a pharmacare program, but I guarantee you if that gets introduced, it'll be the same way. You start with the young because the young don't need many prescription drugs, and then you roll it to those who need it more. So it's a great way to start something, and then the devil's in the detail to roll it out.
2: Uh, everybody obviously you know, wants to see people get correct, all the dental care they need, pharma care they need, and, and so on, but again, these were all discussions we were having before COVID-19 exposed the huge holes in our healthcare system. Should not we, we be concentrating on a template to make that work before we start doing the same thing, another, another example, and then another example, then another example? Because again, this is about lack of transfer payments.
3: Yeah, so uh, again, there's a couple of pieces in there, and I don't want to be seen as passing a buck here, but Actually, healthcare t- traditionally is a provincial responsibility, but it's the federal government. I know government that, Marvin. And- but Marvin, we all, we we hear from
2: every single province, and and even the Canadian yeah. Dental Association I had on the other day said, you know, the provinces are better equipped to handle this. The problem is they don't have enough money, and all of right. the provinces are singing from the same uh, songbook, which comes down to the the feds.
3: Right. So, but I was saying they have to do the programs, but the money comes from the feds, and so there's no mention in this budget about them sitting down and sorting this out. Justin Trudeau, responding to Doug Ford, had said, I do want to have a conversation about this, but I want to do it when I'm sure COVID is in the rearview mirror, and I'm not sure we're quite there yet, but I am anticipating this discussion in 2022, assuming that we don't have some other variant come up and distract us again, because this, as you're absolutely right, COVID has exposed the holes in that system.
2: Marvin Ryder, professor at the Groot School of Business, McMaster University. As always, Marvin, thanks for the time. Much appreciated. Be well. I will. Thank you. Glad
0: to be with you. You're listening to the Hamilton Today podcast from 900 CHML.
2: The United Nations suspended Russia from its seat on the Human Rights Council uh, today as the world calls out atrocities committed in Ukraine. Uh, the U.S. ambassador to the United Nations, Linda Thomas-Greenfield, introduced the proposal earlier in the week following accusations that Russian tr- uh, Russian troops tortured and killed Ukrainian civ- uh, civilians uh, around Kiev. To talk more about all of this and what it means moving forward reggie dichini washington correspondent for global news he's with us now reggie thanks for the time i hope you're well good afternoon what does this mean for russia Uh, what does this mean for the rest of the world is this significant does putin care
9: uh, well, I mean that that's that's a, a, a loaded question. There, uh, it, it's possible that Vladimir Putin may not care uh, because most of what the world has tried to do up until now, including uh, crippling sanctions on his economy, really hasn't acted uh, as a deterrent. Uh, so it, it's it's unclear whether or not this is going to phase. Uh, The Kremlin at all. Uh, But essentially what this does is kind of show that there is still a uh, global batch of solidarity that is willing to stand up to the aggressions uh, that have been carried out by the Russians since their war began, uh, which is now into its sixth week. And the fact that the United States is the one who who ultimately brought this to the floor uh, and was able to uh, help in securing this vote to uh, remove Russia from Uh, From a human rights council that the United States says, uh, you know, Russia is not acting in in the best interest of this council. Uh, It is significant and it shows that there is still an ability here for the world to stand together.
2: Uh, You talked about the U.S. ambassador to the U.N. bringing all this through. Uh, Why her? Uh, What is it? uh, How significant is it that it's the Americans that are doing this?
9: Well, I mean, look, there's, uh, you know, for years, it's it's not a surprise that the United States and Russia aren't on the best terms here. But since this um, since this war began in Ukraine, the United States has really tried to reposition itself at the top of the pillar when it comes to taking on uh, a global leadership role. Obviously, the United States was a country that many used to look to uh, in the years before uh, things started to erode under the Trump administration. A- and under Joe Biden's leadership, uh, the country really has tried to bring itself back to the position uh, it was. So to have the United States, uh, you know, be one of the main contributors of military support uh, and financing into Ukraine, along with being a leader uh, alongside uh, uh, the NATO bloc, uh, to have the United States come out and say, look, the atrocities that are uh apparent and and obvious and glaring uh, and disheartening to see across Ukraine uh, is a reason that Russia should not be on a committee that is you know delved with their number one priority being protecting the rights of humans around the world
2: what about the vote itself and the way it played out how significant is that 93 in favor uh, 24 against 58 abs- uh, abstentions
9: yeah, I mean, and look, there's a number of countries that are going to abstain solely because they don't want to get involved. They may have political ties back to Russia, and if they find themselves on one side or the other, it could put them in some kind of um, of, of politically damaging uh, situation, uh, something like Saudi Arabia, something like India, uh, who, who have been widely criticized. Uh, for for not coming out stronger against Russia. Uh, The fact that you had 24 countries vote against this, not surprising. Many of these countries uh, are African nations who have found themselves aligned up with Russia uh, as of late. Uh, There's also countries that are just strongly aligned with Russia in general, like Syria or Venezuela uh, or Cuba. But the fact that this was able to pass with 93 countries uh, standing firm against this war Uh, in Ukraine, again, is a sign to the Kremlin that despite their best efforts, there is very few people, there are very few people in very few countries that are willing to bow.
2: Does this play in Russia or do they not even know of
9: this? Well, I mean, look—it's—it's it's very likely that this is going to be spun uh, in Russia. Uh, I mean, if you take a look at the comments that have come not only from the United Nations ambassador uh, from Russia, but also from their foreign minister, who over the last several days have been trying to downplay uh, many of the atrocities that we've seen, including these video, uh, these visuals out of Bucha, where um, you know the bodies line the streets. Uh, the, Russia has tried to say that this is fake news, that this is simply propaganda that's being used to justify tripling financial sanctions on not only the Kremlin, but on the average Russian person. So if this does play out in Russia, it is going to be a once again, West versus Russia story. Uh,
2: some said that they still need more proof that in order for them to make a educated decision, they they need to hear both sides of the story. What more proof uh, do they need? Um, obviously, their satellite imagery, did they not have uh, you know exposure to that? How, what more proof would they need?
9: I mean, look, it, it's difficult to, to look at what's going on and try to, to say that it's anything other than what the reality is is playing out. And a lot of times when you're hearing from certain countries that are saying, look, we need more proof, it's because they don't want to put themselves on the record of potentially finding themselves in the crosshairs when it comes to any kind of political actions that may follow uh, from Russia. But arguably, uh, from the world standpoint, considering the fact that you had 93 countries vote to remove Russia for violating uh, human rights uh, across uh, Ukraine— Uh, The proof is in the vote that we saw from the United Nations today. Uh, And as we've heard from uh, from foreign ministers, as we've heard from leaders and as we've heard from the United Nations, those who don't vote alongside what they're seeing play out in Russia, in Ukraine, rather, are ultimately going to be on the wrong side of history.
2: Does this uh, do anything to help fortify Ukraine? Will this get more people on side? Will they get more supplies and whenever they need to to survive, finish
9: this? I mean, look, I think it's it's two different stories right now. You have yeah. the United Nations standing up to say that Russia uh, is committing uh, these human rights violations and, and is putting Ukraine in a dangerous position, and they're in no position themselves to be on a committee that is meant to uh, protect people, no matter what the country is. Well, at the same time, uh, in Brussels, you have foreign ministers uh, and members from the NATO bloc standing to say, look, we are going to send more military support into Ukraine. We are going to send more weaponry into Ukraine. We are going to continue to send hundreds of millions, if not billions of dollars in financial support to Ukraine. So at the same time where you have countries saying Russia uh, is is kind of a, a failure when it comes to how people are treated in Ukraine, the rest of the world is also standing up to say what we're watching play out. We are going to allow for Ukraine to continue to defend itself.
2: Can't let you go, Reggie, without asking you about uh, the latest Supreme Court uh, confirmation. How significant is this first black woman to to be on the U.S. Supreme Court? And surprised that uh, the, the two sides managed to make this happen or not?
9: I mean, there's this is a huge deal for the Biden administration who's suffering uh, under popularity polls that are plummeting solely based on inflation costs in this country and hold over anger, lingering anger uh, for its uh, dealing with the COVID-19 uh, pandemic. The fact that this was able to get through in such a rapid amount of time before Congress goes on break is a big deal for the uh, president. Uh, this is going to be a big win for him uh, when you know midterms ads start up later on this year. This is also a big deal simply for the Democrats because this is a Supreme Court nominee who made it through with bipartisan support, despite the fact that there were kind of vicious Republican attacks towards Judge uh, Ketanji Jackson-Brown uh, over the last uh, several weeks the fact that three republicans joined in with democrats is going to be a moment for the president to say at the beginning of this campaign i told you i would be able to reach across the aisle here he is with ultimately with what going to be one of the biggest moments of his presidency with bipartisan support
2: reggie jacchini washington correspondent with global news watch global tonight for more on all of this thanks reggie as always be well thank you
0: if Scott Thompson isn't satisfied with an answer, he'll delve into the issue until he is. You're listening to Hamilton Today with Scott Thompson. On Hamilton's News, today's talk. 900 CHML. So
2: what do you want to talk about? Uh, the budget or, or, or the Bulldogs? <laughs> yeah, how is this? Uh, the Bulldogs claim top spot in the Canadian Hockey League's latest rankings. They were posted on Wednesday. Uh, not in the province, but in the country. Not too bad for your Hamilton Bulldogs. Uh, first for them, let's bring in Reed Duffy, manager broadcasting and communications, play-by-play announcer for your Hamilton Bulldogs. He is with us now. Reed, thanks for the time. I hope you're well.
1: Oh, Scott, it's always a pleasure to be on with you, and I guess you tell me it's Will I can blame for the music.
2: That's all right. Yeah, you blame Will. I have nothing to do with it. All right, how significant is this in the room? How significant is this to the club, to the players themselves?
1: You know, this is really great, Scott. The first time the Bulldogs have been ranked number one nationally in the CHL, and we're getting a lot of recognition that I think is richly deserved for what these guys have put into this season. Uh, Obviously, the team built right from the top with Steve Steos has performed above and beyond what we could have expected coming into the year. That necessitated the additions, and and our coaching staff has done an incredible job putting all of this together, and I really think this has been huge for for the Bulldogs and, and, and for recognition.
2: How do you not let this freak you out? How do you not uh, let this make you overconfident?
1: Same thing the team's done all season. It's just been one day at a time, one game at a time, never look too far ahead, never get too high, never get too low, just stay right on course the same way that got them there, and uh, being around these guys day in and day out, I don't think there's any way that this is going to uh, have any sort of effect other than another check mark in the column and on down the road we go.
2: How does this information get passed on? Is it, hey, have you looked what happens? If we win this, then we're in first in the country. How, or all of a sudden someone comes in and says, oh, by the way, today we are. How did this information get passed to the players?
1: So th- this is kind of where uh, part of the way where I come in. So this, the OHL actually let me know that uh, a day early that we were going to be named the number one team in the country. And then uh, I can sort of disseminate that to uh, the management the coaches and then it'll it'll make its way down to the players and then of course there's a social media campaign that goes out anytime you get named number one right so uh, the, the players will find out in a number of ways but um i think it's just again it's just another check mark for those guys
2: so are they keeping pre- keeping pretty low key about this yeah yeah whatever move on or are they a lot of high fives around the room
1: I think uh, some high fives in the initial, but low key overall, because it's just it, it just means it's another check on that road to the eventual goal, which is an OHL championship and a Memorial Cup. And it's nice to be ranked number one. But now you got to go out and prove why you were ranked number one or why you are ranked number one. So I, I think in the long run, it, you know, it's, it's good for confidence. It's good to have that. But it, it's just something on the road to the goals.
2: And obviously now expectations pretty high.
1: Well, and that's it, and and I think the Bulldogs have been creating that all season long, the the roster performing at such a high level, and you see the the talent just amassed and the the depth of talent that this team has. It does, again, bring those expectations up. I mean, when you get to the the kind of player acquisitions that we did at the trade deadline, that brings expectations up. The way the team has played continues to bring them up, and now being number one, you got to show why you are number one.
2: All right. Earlier on in the season, obviously, we chatted about the outdoor game on the heels of the NHL outdoor game, which was a great success for you. Lots of butts in the seats. What does this do? How does this help you put butts in the seats? Does it? Do you see do you see the response?
1: I think it does. Scott. I think the timing for it uh, from a business perspective is fantastic. Being ranked number one, the Bulldogs have one regular season game left April 15th hosting the Niagara Stocks. So a local rival and then heading into the playoffs. If the, the number one ranking stays and you can use that as a bit of promotion, it all adds up, right? Everything that you can use to get out in the media in a positive light, I think it, it makes a ton of sense that it helps build you forward and helps build bigger houses for the team. And that's exactly what we're looking to do. We want this to look like the 2018 run where the, the place is packed for playoffs. And, and, I mean, why wouldn't you? Hamilton in the spring for playoff hockey? That sounds fantastic.
2: Okay, so what's on the docket? What's What's up next?
1: So what's coming up next is this weekend. We're on our way right now to Ottawa. We're actually currently on the road, taking on the 67s tomorrow night at 7 o'clock, and then Sunday at 6.05 against Oshawa, two teams that really want to pick up points. Bulldogs will be looking to uh, kind of close the door on them, see if they can continue the run that, that the team has been on. It, it's only been three losses since the calendar turned into the calendar year 2022, uh, this team has, has done a ridiculous job. And with the records that are being broken and the accolades being given, uh, you just have to absolutely love the road that this team is on and the path they're on right now.
2: So you're on the team bus right now. You're on the road. The team's all there. Are they sleeping? What are they doing?
1: Uh, there's, there's, a, there's a lot of sleeping going on. Uh, it's, it's a long drive to Ottawa. Some guys are, including myself, keeping an eye on the Masters. So that's, yeah. uh, that, that's keeping us entertained as we go. And we, we just find ways to, to keep ourselves smiling while we're sitting on the bus. All
2: right. So I won't get you to hold the phone up and get them to yell really loud then, eh? Uh,
1: I don't think you'd have enough guys awake.
2: All right. Good enough. <laughs> let them get their beauty <laughs> let them get their beauty sleep for the trip. All right, Reed. Thanks so much. And uh, wish our best to the team on the road. Uh, good luck ride right the way. And congratulations.
0: You got it. Thanks so much, Scott. Always a pleasure. You're listening to the Hamilton Today podcast from 900 CHML.
2: Lots of chatter around defense spending, Uh, of course, uh, usually not a priority uh, for the uh, liberals and certainly not for the NDP, who don't want to see any more money spent on uh, NATO commitments. But obviously, with world events and seeing what has happened with the Russian invasion of Ukraine, obviously, uh, this has made the world rethink its commitments uh, when it comes to protecting not only ourselves, but our allies as well. Let's bring in Dr. Jack Cunningham, PhD program coordinator at the Bill Graham Center for Contemporary International History in Trinity College and the Monk School, University of Toronto, and with us now. Jack, thanks for the time. I hope you're well.
10: I'm well, Scott. Thanks, and hope you're well, too.
2: Yes, thanks so much. So obviously we know traditionally liberals not really interested in uh, military spending, then NDP even less so. Obviously with world events, things have changed. Your thoughts, especially when you hear dribs and drabs coming out about the budget and such, have we changed our stance on military spending, both as Canadians and as government?
10: Well, we've uh, we've probably changed in terms of public opinion. In terms of government, we'll have to wait and see I mean, there's uh, there's uh, there's this mooted uh, eight billion dollars in new defense spending, but uh, so far the Department of National Defense has had trouble just spending the amount that's already allocated to defense. The expertise required to uh, to negotiate and manage these big procurement files it's uh, it's doubtful if it's there in the department. So they're going to have trouble spending this money efficiently and getting the bang for the buck that we want.
2: So, uh, let's get back to what you just said, and I've heard this before that you know many complain about the lack of military spending, but then they don't even spend what they have. Why is that? What's the problem? and And what does that have to do with the, with the procure, uh, procuring these services or or material?
10: Well, we have a deeply dysfunctional procurement process in which acquiring military equipment is largely treated as a question of regional economic benefits and domestic uh, barrel rolling. So uh, as a result, we're uh, we're not good at uh, actually negotiating and concluding these agreements and seeing them through to complete completion. You may recall that just five years ago, the, uh, the then relatively freshly minted Trudeau government brought in a defence review, and that committed us to uh, getting up to about I think 1.4 percent of GDP in defence spending, and we're behind on that already. So my I have a sneaking suspicion that with uh, with these new commitments. Uh, unless things have very much changed in government circles, we may find that not all that money is actually going to uh, to uh, to where it's supposed to go and not buying the defense that we want.
2: You know, uh, as I'm, we're decoding the budget and we're hearing back uh, buck passing with housing, buck passing with health care, it almost seems like the same with this. It's 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 almost so complex a problem. It can't be fixed. How do we fix this?
10: I think you basically have to start by uh, going by going right to the uh, the drawing board and reinventing the procurement process probably with an independent procurement agency of the sort that of the Australians have uh, have developed I think it's uh, I think the process as it is is probably so broken that no amount of mere tinkering can fix it
2: can that same sort of mentality fix our health care or our housing issues it seems like a lot of things need to be rethought we need some new templates here
10: we do need some new templates and we need a, a lot of more original thinking about how government can actually deliver uh public goods and uh so far the government's approach at least on these domestic issues has been to ma- mainly throw money at them and hope that that will solve problems that's uh, that's been proven time and again not to be the case
2: can't let you go, Jack, without letting you uh, asking you your thoughts on uh, Russia being ousted at the UN Security Council. The significance of this?
10: Uh, well, it's uh, it's it's uh, symbolically uh, uh, useful and uh, and 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 a good thing. Whether it'll have much by way of practical uh, practical effects, I don't know. It's always good to see an aggressor nation singled out as a pariah. But uh, I'm not sure how many people are paying much attention to what the U.N. says and does these days. Uh, I rarely do, I confess, and, uh, <laughs> and I follow these issues quite closely.
2: Does this in somehow uh, fortify what Ukraine is doing? Does this solidify at least the allies and get more support for them?
10: It supports more allies, but it's not. Uh, it's not going to help uh, Mr. Zelensky meet his top priority, which, as he recently reminded the prime minister, is getting more military aid, more weaponry that his people can uh, can use on the ground. And and there, where uh, Canada, in particular, is in trouble, we've pretty much depleted all the uh, the surplus weaponry we have, and we're having to shop for more just to uh, to supply the Ukrainians.
2: So if I was to talk to you one year from now, Jack, and ask you if our military has improved any, do you see that happening?
10: Uh, I see that as uh, as very unlikely.
2: Dr. Jack Cunningham with us, PhD program coordinator, Bill Graham Center for Contemporary International History, Trinity College, and the Monk School, University of Toronto. Jack, as always, thanks so much for the time. Be well.
10: You too, Scott. Take care.
2: Ken just did, commenting on our last guest, Dr. Jack Cunningham, Ph.D., uh, Trinity College, International History, U of T. And Ken's uh, question, <laughs> Ken's point was, did I just hear, uh, and this is response, responding to what Jack said, did I just hear that Canada has given almost its entire surplus of weaponry to Ukraine? Doesn't that basically leave Canada a sitting duck waiting to be invaded now that we have nothing to protect ourselves? That strikes me as a little concerning um yeah and that was the concern also of our previous guest uh and obviously uh the chatter and now new interest in uh spending more on the military just to keep up our commitment to nato as a result of what has happened uh with russia invading ukraine so on and on we go let's take another look at this uh and what else is affected in the budget and bring in eric cam professor of macroeconomics uh, and this is at ryerson university and is with us now eric
5: Eric, thank you for the time. I hope you're well. My pleasure. I am. I hope you are as well.
2: Yes, thanks so much. This budget, uh, I don't ever remember us talking about a budget uh, as much as this one in the past and certainly the interest in it. uh, And not only that, but even the issues of concern, military closer to the top, housing affordability now. Uh, What is your take from what you've seen so far, Eric? Eric?
5: Well, I've only had, like everybody, about an hour to digest this. And I I have to say, and I don't want to sound like an overly negative person. I'm very hard on the Liberal government and deservedly so. And this doesn't really change my opinion, not to be glib about it, but this is like going to the dentist, expecting three cavities and having two. And then you run out and you tell your family you did great. Um, (laughs) I have to tell you the truth. I'm not blown away by any of this because as an economist and as a consumer, I always look for the general health of the economy and the welfare of the economy. I look for something more than Trudeau, not this one, the first one, taxing and spending and taxing and spending. And yet, every single time we pull the veil off a budget, I see taxing and spending. And so I can't sit here and tell you that this is a wonderful budget because I don't see the the growth drivers that I was hoping to. I don't see anything that tells me we're going to be leaving our grandchildren an economy better than the one that we have now. I just see liberal spending and liberal taxing. And it just seems like putting an old something in a brand new dress and, and putting a new title on it. But to your point, I would say that we're talking about it because I think the Conservatives did us a, a disservice and I voted conservative in the past. And the disservices. I think they panicked out loud for too long about how much the spending was going to be. So this budget comes in at under those, those guidelines, right? The conservatives right. thought it was going to be the moon and the stars. It wasn't. It's just higher than it ever should be. And so you have people going, well, look, they did a pretty good job at reining in spending. No, they didn't. They didn't do a good job at reining in spending. They have two cavities instead of three. And that's about the best analogy I can give you.
2: Once digested, if they do, how do you think Canadians are going to feel about this?
5: I think it depends on what side of the political outhouse you stand. I mean, there's a lot of spending here and I really do have to go over it with more of a fine tooth comb. But, you know, they say things like helping first time homebuyers. Well, if you really want to help first time homebuyers, you could have taken away the time limit on paying back your R.S.P. That Mm. would do more to me than than these things and, and an accelerator fund. Um, dental care. I'm not for national dental care. I know that in talking to my friends who are dentists, they think that putting dental care on OHIP will absolutely collapse the system. So I'm not an advocate of that. And not just as an economist, but as I say, talking to practitioners in the system, it's Everyone interesting you likes- should say it.
2: It's interesting you should say that, Eric, because I talked to the head of the Canadian Dental Association last week on all of this when it was announced, and he said basically the same thing. He said the provinces uh, really have some great systems in place. The reason they're not being used is because they just don't have adequate funding. And he questioned the same thing, whether this would really solve the problem or not.
5: We know the healthcare system is crumbling under its own weight. We know that the two-tier healthcare system is going to come in eventually, whether people like it or not. I mean, I'm not here to be popular. I'm here to tell you the truth. And I haven't spoken to one dentist and I've spoken to a half a dozen in the last couple of days who've told me that this will crush OHIP, that we cannot socialize denticare. It's just far too expensive, but here we go. So, you know, you asked me, do I think that some people are going to like this? Well, if you like advancing the United States' war against Russia, then you probably will. And if you're all for a truth and reconciliation, you'll like more spending toward that. And neither of those things offend me as a human being. But as an economist, I just I look at this and I look at the bullet points and I say, where is economic growth? Where is debt reduction? and i see none of it so i'm sorry but i see more taxing more spending and another liberal government with very little to distinct to 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 get set it apart from previous liberal uh budgets
2: Uh, obviously housing affordability a big issue here a suite of uh, policies announced are any of these going to help uh, make it easier for younger people to buy a home
5: Not one, not one and I'll tell you why. And this is really frustrating. Number one, offering $40,000 when the average price in say the GTA is, is over a million. I mean, come on, that's a joke. And number two, you're gonna stop foreign investment into Canada in terms of housing. Do you really think the Liberal government is smart enough to do that? All that is going to do is create a black market where you're going to have people outside of Canada paying people inside of Canada to buy those homes. I mean, what does the government really think they're going to do? They're going to shut the border from people buying into our country. It's ridiculous. And other governments just call it foreign investment. And it's a good thing. I think they're running scared. And I'm looking at these I'm looking at these 10 or 12 bullet points. And I'm going, does one of these bullet points grow the economy? Does one of these bullet points make the economy better? faster, stronger. And Scott, not to be a negative Nelly, I don't see it. Uh,
2: why are we so scared to build in this country in this province and what we've been talking about with housing or whether you're talking about transit or roads or, or infrastructure of any kind these discussions have been going on i'm old enough to remember 10 20 30 years ago i remember in the 70s they were talking about be, building a high-speed rail and what have you so what is it about building that scares everybody we talk about lots of immigration we need it we need jobs we got uh, positions to fill but we've We don't want to build anything. Why? Whether it's low income, whether it's affordable, whether it's high density, low density, we're not doing anything.
5: We don't do anything. And you know why? It's because we're Canadian. And for some reason, Canadians don't want to trumpet what they do best. They never have and they never will. I'm 54 years old, so I remember the good old days too. And you know what we don't do? We don't capitalize on our comparative advantages. We are an economy rich in staples, in resources, in energy, and oil. And do we turn those comparative advantages around to profit-making opportunities and economic growth? No, we ban them. We ban pipelines. We go out and we buy things that we don't need that we could produce ourselves. You know, they say the Canadians are a nice people and a polite people, and they're right. But the flip side of that is we're not willing to exploit this country's resources and do what we do best. We seem to do better to apologize and go out and spend money we don't have to spend. And it actually as an economist breaks my heart.
2: Where do you see us one year from now, Eric?
5: No better than we are today. No better than we are today, unless the government's going to really, really increase that interest rate and try to bring down inflation. But we know they're not going to do that because governments don't move quickly at anything. So the best they're going to do is bring it up 25 or 50 basis points. Is that going to moderate the housing market? Well, let me let me rephrase the question. Eighty five percent of immigrants to Canada. Come to the GTA. Come to the four one six nine oh five. So is fifty basis points going to do anything to the housing market? No. And neither is forty thousand dollars. And neither is this first time home buyers tax credit. It's just it's it's just repackaging the old. Nothing new. No growth. And I'm sorry to say it, but a year from now we're just sitting we're sitting in the same economy with a higher rate of interest
2: eric cam with us professor macroeconomics uh ryerson university eric as always thanks so much for the time be well
0: it's a pleasure and a privilege stay healthy scott you're listening to the hamilton today podcast from 900 chml
2: joining us scott radley host of the scott radley show columnist with your hamilton spectator coming up right after the six o'clock news scott how are you i'm okay how are you doing I'm doing well. Budget. Are you interested in this budget? Is it just me because I'm a political head? Uh, is this budget drawing more attention than others, do you think?
4: It better be because uh, we as a country are like $1.2 trillion in debt, and inflation is running wild, and we better be paying attention to this. And, Scott, the irony of this budget and where we are as a country right now, and, I, you know, I can't uh, – this drives me nuts. The reason the government is talking about how it is doing pretty well now and growth is happening in our country is because the government gets more taxes yeah. when things cost more. Eight yep. percent of a hundred and ten dollars is more than eight percent of a hundred dollars. Inflation yep. actually helps the government. So for the government to keep infl- to, to bring inflation down. Same as gas use, prices well, we would not be able to pay for all the things we want to do in our budget. So somehow we say we want no inflation, and yet very much the government is relying on higher prices to feed the things that it wants to pay for. If inflation suddenly drops, our debt grows. And so look at this. I'm not arguing that the government is intentionally driving up prices, but I'm saying, I don't know that they have a vested interest in having inflation drop way, way down right away. And, you know, for every government, every government, especially this latest one, but every government talks about the middle class. We're here for the middle class. I we, can't define, we can't define the middle class. I love, I love it when they what say, the middle class is.
2: and I love when Trudeau says, well, those willing to join, the, you know, wanting to join the middle class. What about those of us that are here and can't even hang on to it?
4: Well, but, so we, every government talks about, and this one too, talks about we want we're here for the middle class we're all about the middle class and yet everything that's being done is not helping the middle class and even right down to the idea of you know surcharges on banks which a lot of people go well look the banks made a fortune yeah.
2: it's well, populist yes, politics
4: yes but the banks did make a fortune but the banks are not owned by one person the banks are owned by shareholders and who is the share? Who are the shareholders of a lot of the banks? People who invested in mutual funds and RRSPs. The yeah. middle class yeah. who are saving for their retirement now are getting hit again in their retirement in, in, in savings. Like everything that's done, even if they say it's for the middle class, everything that's done ultimately hurts the middle class. We do. We have lots of policies to help the people on the low income, which we should. That's what governments are supposed to be for, to help the people at the very bottom who really need our help We have lots of policies for them. We don't seem to really mind I guess, so much the billionaires we talk a big game but that, that, that leaves a little everything affects the middle class and yet they tell us that everything is being done for the middle class it, it, it's, it's, it's gibberish it doesn't make sense because when you have the- to
2: when when the prime Minister had a minister that her title was Minister of the middle class,
5: who
4: could what not the heck does that say? The middle class was. But she
2: couldn't well, and not only that, Why do you, who's the middle class? The majority of Canadians. You need a minister to tell you what the majority of Canadians want? But that's because he's an elitist and he does, he's never been in the middle class. He has no idea how hard it is to put a roof over the head and get your kids through
4: school. I think there should be a law put in place. And I say in all sincerity, many, oftentimes when we say this, we're being funny. There should be a law put in place. The only law against free expression that I'm in favor of, a law put in place that if you're a government, until you can define the middle class, you can't use that phrase ever again. <laughs> you are permitted, and if you're—that's great. If, if anyone in your party says we're for the middle class until you have created a definition that we can follow, the leader is put in prison until they come up with a good definition. That's a law that I would be entirely on board with.
2: Scott Radley with us, host of the Scott Radley Show coming right up after the 6 o'clock news and you can read him in your Hamilton Spectator Scott, as always, thanks for the time, have a great show Thanks Scott, see ya Thanks for listening to the Hamilton Today Podcast You can listen to the show
0: live weekday afternoons from 3 to 6 on 900CHML and online at 900CHML.com
2: That's a wrap for us Thanks to uh, Will Erskine and Will Weber, also in the newsroom Diana Weeks and Dave Woodard and of course you we couldn't do it without you, including the last word.
4: Jeff here, and um, I don't know why they can't look at something like boring taxes on things. Like, look at the cost of fuel, the cost of lumber, the cost of all these essential things that everybody needs. They're not building because they can't afford to. And not to mention just the cost of living is too high. Like, I believe in capitalism, but, I mean, just throwing money at things that cost People a lot of money when the wages aren't there isn't going to help count your pennies
10: oh we don't have them anymore either